I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi! Welcome to Scam Wow. I'm Caitlin Brodnick. I'm your host. I love you guys, and I love scams. We all love scams. I'm so excited for this episode. It is a re-release, and the reason I need to share it, it's just too funny. Um, Some of you have heard this before. It is with the inaugural scammer. We had the first time ever on Scamwa, we had an actual person who was a former con con artist as our guest. And I will tell you to listen out for how much I am freaking out over this guest. The guest, D'Artagnan Williams, is amazing. He's so nice. He has spoiler alert, transformed his life. He's not a scammer any longer. But you couldn't know, by the way, I was interviewing him. Guys, I am so excited during this interview. All I want is to talk about every scam he pulled. And bless his heart, he's like, you know, I don't really do that anymore. And I've changed and I've learned my lesson and gone through a lot. And I'm like, right, 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 right. But how did it work exactly in this? It's just one of my favorite interviews because it's so transparent that though I do love people learning and growing from their mistakes or their flaws, I really love con artists and I really want to hang out with them. So that is today's episode. Also, I have to do a couple Patreon shout outs. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to our Patreon. It's Scamwa Podcast on Patreon. I want to thank Misha and I want to thank Marcus. both M names. And um, the scam of the week for you guys, for Misha, I will say, Misha, you gotta watch out for these websites. Okay, I'm buying my son shoes. I'm buying him sneakers. I'm buying, he has narrow feet. And so I have to get this special sneaker for narrow feet. So I go on to the websites that like are lower price shoes, like DSW or something like where you're used to finding discounts. Um, The shoes are the exact same price 
let's it's Puma and their exact same price as Puma online. You know where they're hiding, guys? SaxFifthAvenue.com. Misha, would you believe Sax Fifth Avenue and like Sax Off Fifth, all these like bizarre, like Neiman Marcus, the shoes that they have for kids, it was like $14 because no one is buying Puma shoes for children on SaxFifthAvenue.com. So that's the thing. You have to just look in the Google bar or your search engine. Don't go to the websites that you that promise you that they'll save you money. Go and search the type or whatever the shoe you want, and you will find it usually in that Google search. And um, yeah, that's my huge tip for you in case you're looking for children's Puma shoes. <laughs> and for our amazing other Patreon, Marcus, I wanted to say thank you so much. Welcome. My scam for you is it's also a shopping scam because I want us all to save money. Um, it is for, <laughs> this is all so personal. Guys, this is what um, Patreon is. <laughs> it's actually just like very personal stories. <laughs> the scam for you to avoid are contact lens scams. <laughs> so 1-800-CONTACTS and I think OptiContacts are basically like the same company and you can go back and forth on them and apply different promo codes and see which one is having the better sale on the context of your choice. Because <laughs> that's what I did this week. I'm really into sales. Those are the scams I want you guys to watch out for and everyone listening. And thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is a throwback from season one with Sue. And I'm recording. I remember it so clearly. I'm recording from my basement in Maryland during COVID times. And I am so incredibly joyous. I hope, I think I tried to edit out all my squeals, but there was just so many. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hi. Hi. I'm Caitlin Brodnick. And I'm Sue Smith. And we love scams. We love scams. Guys, we love scams and we love scammers. This is a really exciting episode. This is such a good episode. If we do say so (laughs) ourselves, we're interviewing our first scammer. Former identity theft, now running for Congress. Future for Congressman. Yes. And written a book, is so kind and sweet and so lovely to us this entire time. It was one of the most exciting interviews we've ever done. All right. And I just want to shout out and thank our two new patrons, mm-hmm. um, Patreon patrons, Catherine and Lola. Thank, thank you guys you so guys. much for subscribing. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, okay. I'm going to say a scam you should look out for is um, our those flavored like um, almond extract and vanilla extract <laughs> because mm. that shit is so fake tasting. So I made cupcakes and I put almond and vanilla and vanilla extract and I was so excited. But it, And it was homemade. Everything's homemade. My own, all of it. But it tasted like store-bought cupcakes, which somebody might like. But those flavorings really can cheapen the taste of your food. I thought you meant because they're all like vanilla extract is all alcohol. It's like 99%. It's all, al- oh, yeah. it's all alcohol. Yeah. It's all like some like real essence oil. But I think that in every single recipe, it says vanilla extract. So I think you're, you know, I assume, oh, this is how it's, we're going to make it taste authentic and good. But then you put it in and it tastes cheaper. So unless you have those good old vanilla beans, I don't know. Trader Joe's has non-alcoholic, because I'm a fucking psycho. Yeah, no, I don't want has that. Has non-alcoholic vanilla extract. Great. For like 
not it's not cheap it's like eight bucks maybe but it's cheap for vanilla extract (laughs) i can't believe how much i know about no that's important because i don't want alcohol in all my stuff either so yeah i think you should watch out for extracts (laughs) be careful of the extracts guys be careful that's my advice to you as our new patreon listeners yes thank you for your support thank you and um yeah we hope you love this episode as much as we did please welcome d'artagnan williams hey thank you guys for having me thank you thank you for doing the show where are you located? Uh, right now, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, we're all over. Oh, we are so thrilled to have you as a guest. And we dare say we think you are our first. Yes. What are we? We're, first? Our, we're a podcast that focuses on scams. And we talk about every kind of scam. We talk about everything. But you're the first Scammer? Scammer? We've Reformed scammer? Ex-scammer? Is that a good or bad thing? I, I think, think it's, it's a great. great thing. <laughs> we love it. That's what's so funny is that this is like we're speaking. We're at the foot of Finger on the pulse. Yes. <laughs> foot so of an angel. <laughs> we worship You're what you angel. do. We don't know how to explain our gratitude. I can't even put it into words. We are so fascinated with scams. We're constantly um, hypothesizing. Maybe this is what happened. Maybe this is how the scammer thought of it, this or that. And finally, we get to talk to quite the expert. And we just feel so honored and unworthy and joyous to talk to you about what also seems like it was probably a very difficult time for you. But we are so (laughs) thrilled to talk about it. Let's engage. Let's dive deep. Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool. So you were into identity theft, right? That's correct. Well, identity theft, payment card fraud, check fraud, you know, the linear scams that are part and parcel to the perpetration of an identity theft scheme. So they all mm-hmm. into each other, depending on how technical the actual perpetration of the identity theft crime is. So um, it's wow. a combination of scams and schemes, yes. That's amazing. So did you work for a company or were you working on your own? No, this was an entrepreneur enterprise um, that evolved. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> That's even more exciting. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. Mm-hmm. So it, it started when I was a kid, um, an adolescent at the age of 15 years old. Um, I stole my dad's identity um, with the intent of stealing his Capital One credit card. In order to do that, I needed to capture his credentials. Um, to add myself as an authorized user to that Capital One credit card, and um, it scaled from there. After my dad, I, I targeted my mom. After my mom, then both sets of grandparents, and after both sets of grandparents, then America at large was subject to victimization. So, how did you capture your dad's login details in order to add yourself as an authorized user? Sure. Well, living in the house with him, I had access to the family file cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Certificates and social security cards. I had access to his wallet, and which is where my dad kept his social security card. I remember very vividly. Yeah, his wallet. So there was a social. Um, on his driver's license was his date of birth, and these parts and pieces of information just came together, and I learned that they were essential to the telephonic um, interaction with the credit credit card company. Um, by trial and error. So what I would do as a kid, would I would contact Capital One. Um, the 1-800 number is there on the commercials. So I would record that in <laughs> Capital One and learn the verbiage of that interaction. Wow. So I captured that. Um, and these credentials and pieces of personal information came together, belonging to my father. Um, I then called Capital One and 
you know, continue to be my dad and added myself to his account as an authorized user and, repla- and requested a replacement call. I love it. Oh That's my God. So, so were you the smartest kid in your class? It's, I cannot, it sounds so, so brilliant at such a young age to be able to not only know all the pieces that you need to solve this puzzle, but also to know the verbiage and just sort of have that rhythm down and to behave like an adult. Did you, were you, did you excel in school or were you, was school annoying and this was so much more fun? <laughs> school was kind of annoying and boring. I mean, I was a member of the band. Yeah. I was the kid that didn't have to study for standardized tests and I only did enough to get by. Yeah. So you were too smart for it. So I thought I was. And how old were you when you took your dad's identity when you started? I was 15 years old when I stole my dad's identity, 16 years old when I stole my mom's, 17 and 18 when I stole both sets of grandparents. And by the age of 19, I began to recruit other people to be part of a criminal enterprise that I was developing. Because you're so good at it by now, of course. And I'm sure your friends were wondering like how you can afford to live the way you do. It looks so easy and simple. That's amazing. So when you so you did the same um, process for the people in your family by like adding yourself as a as a authorized user to get there. No, 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 no. no. Once I capture their credentials, the more I did it, the easier it became. Um, because right. parents, it was all about trial and error. By the time I got to the first set of grandparents, I basically mastered, if you will, the interaction that's engaged with creditor and, and, um, and, and debtor. Mm. And mm. by the time I got to my second set of grandparents, it was really a breeze. And then right. what you know motivated me to recruit other people so as to teach and train them um, under my tutelage in terms of how to how to perpetrate this game. That's so interesting. It's so good. <laughs> it's, um, it's so in- I know. I know. Yes, I'm sure. As we said, you know, you no longer do you this. You had consequences. You're reformed. Yes, you've had a, a whole life past but this and moved past it. This is like giddy for Sue and I because. I do believe, we do believe that when we look at scams, the complexity of scams, the fascination with scams, there is a lot of, there is a lot of... Admirable, stuff that's admirable. Yes, and and textbook stuff as well. Like you have to be, you really have to know so many pieces of the puzzle so that when you are impersonating another person, you're not, you don't let anything drop and you're doing it perfectly. And then for you to be able to then teach other people, it was... It's just very impressive. <laughs> so when you got your grandparents' info, when you were like, was this still all over the phone? Like doing that kind of scamming? Like talking to yes. the credit card company on the phone? Uh, yes. Yeah. So by the time, no, no, no. By the time I got to my mom, I recruited an individual, um, a female um, friend, uh, acquaintance in the neighborhood to, mm-hmm. to be my mom, to steal my mom's identity because I needed to both perpetrate that those scams over the phone with the use of a woman's voice as well as in person um, with the use of an actual wow. individual. But the way in which we would do it in that day, I mean, technology had not yet evolved to what it is today. And people were still taking copies, third-party copies of driver's license, um, which I had the ability to manipulate. Um, and, and use it as um, sufficient to authenticate a transaction. So you would add, would you add your name to existing credit cards or open one in their name? Yeah, uh, both. 
Um, so, so it was account takeovers. That's that's what we call when you add your name to an existing account to take it over. That is yeah. Account mm-hmm. takeover. And then obviously there was new credit establishes in their name via the instant credit market, which is the driving force and factor in identity theft schemes and scams. The new, the new credits. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Getting a credit card in somebody else's name. Uh, okay. Um, and what year are we talking? Uh, we're talking about at the age of 15, we're talking all the way back to 1995. Oh, he's a, oh yeah. He's a, a pioneer. He can do anything He's a pioneer. <laughs> so, Forget it. <laughs> When when I meet when I when I introduce people to this story for the first time, they look at me with a wild factor like, "You really just stole your parents' identities yesterday?" And then, <laughs> well, twenty five years removed from that, in the context of being redeemed um, from both my past and those things that um, incarcerated me as um, a perpetrator of those malicious uh, malicious crimes. So how is your, do you, and we don't have, we can cut this if you want, don't want to, but how is your relationship with your family now afterwards? Yeah, well, I like to think that I'm the child who my parents doted on, has, has always doted on. Uh-huh. I was an adolescent in that day. My parents yeah. were, yeah. Giving. I mean, my mom is the disciplinarian, but my dad is the one that dotes on me. And yes. Even to this day, I'm the middle child and uh-huh. my relationship was with my parents are beautiful. And I can. Oh, I'm so happy. The, um. In the viewing of the book documentary that I produced on the book's website, themasteridentitythief.com, my parents are featured and some of the local leaders in the community are featured in terms of giving testimony to who I was as a, as a child, as a young man. Right. Definitely post-identity um, theft crimes. Okay, wait, let me, let me walk it back. When you said that you then branched out to America at large. Sure. Tell me more about that. <laughs> so, it's so exciting. We're at the edge of our seats. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to talk about this painful part of my life, but I want to talk like, about please. it. Please. <laughs> so when I say America at large, that means no one was exempt to victimization. No yes. one. I mean, you got to take into account that I targeted my parents and then my grandparents. So I didn't give any regard or consideration to whom um, I would exempt from uh, that particular uh, crime specifically identity there. So whoever qualified as one whom I could quantify um, and monetize in terms of their personal information um, as such was a target for victimization. And in 1995, how are you getting the personal information of strangers? Sure. So in 1995, after graduating high school, I went to Monroe, Louisiana. And there I found that the hotel establishments to have these storage rooms. And this is at the time and during the season when checking into a hotel, they would make a carbon copy of your driver's license mm-hmm. and a carbon copy of your credit card. So in those storage storage rooms um, were boxes of, of consumer. Oh my gosh. What a gold mine. Yeah. And it was just, basically, it was a gold mine. And I would just, you know, haul as much of the information as I could off in one visit or grab and sift through it, sort through it in terms of um, arranging the scams. Did you know the hotel before? Like, were you familiar with the storage rooms or like you would just run in and look for the storage room and then grab the stuff and leave? Right, right. No, no, no. So I didn't know the hotel. I didn't have any personal acquaintance with the properties. I would just, once I found that it was easily accessible at one, I automatically assumed that that's how all of them, all of them were. And yeah. um, I went from hotel to hotel. Some doors were locked, but most were not. And that's how wow. I would initially um, gather 
consumer information and data. Wow, that's incredible. And then you had people you had people who started doing it for you, right? So as as you go and grow in the scam, you meet people who are like minded with like skill mm-hmm. um, in that particular market, um, as dark as it is. So relationships evolve and develop, and you you meet people that are more savvy than you are and been doing it longer than you are than than you have, and that's that's what happened through scam and scheme. I met. You know, other people that were both Louisiana based and beyond. And the technology, technological pieces came together and we began to work in unison to, um, to develop the scheme in, 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 at a more sophisticated level. So it went from, it went from um, accessing hotel storage rooms and bins to actually employing, employing people whom I would call an info operative in actual places of business and arming them with the necessary tools to acquire the information uh, more surreptitiously. So somebody at who worked at the hotel was also working for you? Right, at the hotel, at, yes. the, bank, at the tech preparation company, at the car dealership, um, in the police department. I mean, you name it. I had info operatives um, in, in, in some of the most unique places. That You're an entrepreneur. That are, that are unsuspected. I was just going to say, how many, like, at your peak, when it got to be the biggest, how many operatives would you say that you had? Uh, it was a forty. It was a forty-member criminal enterprise. Twenty men, twenty women, twenty info operatives, twenty field operatives. So the field operatives were those who would actually embody and personify the stolen information, and as such, uh, perpetrate what the FBI recognizes today as aggravated identity theft. What does that mean? So that means if one of my then field operatives would um, assume your personal information. Um, we would have a driver's license, um, social security card, birth certificate. We would have every document that makes you you in terms of authenticating your identity. And as such, that's what aggravates the crime because of the length and extent to which the perpetrator went um, to commit the same. And um, what did these people, your operatives have, like what incentive did they have working for you? Did they get like a portion of it or were you paying them or like how did they benefit? No, so the field operatives were, were on weekly salaries of $2,000 each. The info. Weekly. Yes. Weekly. The info operatives were on a weekly salary of $1,000 each. Uh, they had quotas to meet. I needed from them a minimum of 500 credit card numbers. And our driver's license number, a mixture of it, just as long as... Is that a week? A week, yes. And 20 of those individuals in the field operatives who would eventually assume the data that the info operative would steal would um, had a quota of um, producing $15,000 a day, each one of them. And that's how I was able to afford that that kind of um, um, $60,000 payroll on a weekly basis in cash. Holy shit. That is incredible. That's so cool. I know, I know. (laughs) And I know we're talking about ruining people's lives in a sense, but (laughs) we're talking about the fun side first. Um, Now, did you have this set up in an office building? Was it set up from your home office? Was it, yeah, what was your setup there? So so I did have a home office, uh, an entire room dedicated to it that had uh, fax and printing. But it was the basic essentials at home because you don't want to be caught with the more technical pieces that's needed to um, run the operation. And then we had satellite apartments. Um, I had about three or four apartments um, with um, the same equipment in it that was more 
the less manufacturing facilities for the replication of um, these technical um, documents. That's amazing. So, oh, I was going to ask how long until, so you start you were, around 1995, how long until was this um, business continuing? Um, to, from, from 19, it was at its peak from the age of 19 to the age of 23. So at, okay. at, at the age of 19 years old, I made my first million dollars in cash. Oh my gosh. At the age of 23, I lost my last 3.1 million just two weeks prior to going to federal prison. Oh my oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Also at that age, 19 to 23, I mean, why wouldn't you just decide to do this for the rest of your life? If you have a million dollars at 19. What did you do with the money? What did you, what did you spend it on? <laughs> Offshore bank accounts? Don't tell us that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. What did you spend it on? Well, well, the, as, as I document in the book, um, I had access to casinos before I was actually of legal age. Sure. By way of identity theft. So I was able to um, present myself as 21 years of age. So I was developing a gambling habit at the age of 19. Okay. Um, but it did not, gambling did not consume all of my monies, um, but it did take a good portion of them. And just as soon as I, I, I separated myself from that, when I turned 21, for some reason, all of a sudden, when I turned 21, I lost the urge and desire to gamble. Um, to mm-hmm. okay. I just, it was no longer exciting. And it is when I stopped there that I really began to scale in terms of um, money acquisition and crime perpetration. Okay. So I want to just really get to the nitty gritty of that. So if someone, if you're, if someone has to bring in $15,000 a week, what does that mean? Does that mean they're bringing in a credit card that has a $15,000 limit or they're buying $15,000 of products that you can resell or what is it? Yes, it's $15,000 a day. Oh, a day. Sorry. All right. So, so, so uh, it's a combination. Um, so the way in which I qualified it was that a victim that had a 721 beacon score or better um, I learned through trial and error that they automatically, the return on investment was $25,000 for that one identity. Now, keep Like on, that's their credit limit. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's, no that, that credit limit is in excess of $100,000 if, if managed right and manipulated right, maneuvered right. Um, but um, keep in mind that that one fear operative is juggling and rotating at least five to seven identities simultaneously. So it was a combination of account takeover, taking existing accounts, because remind you, I had people working at car dealerships and it was to the car salesman, both new and used car salesman, whom I would submit um, name, date of birth and social security number, who in exchange for $100 would produce me a copy of that individual's credit report profile. And now I have information that only the actual owner of the identity is privy to. And that's how I was able to make a determination who would guarantee a certain return on, on investment and who would not. So the, the modus operandi of the operation was not a hit and miss, um, take a shot in the dark. We knew automatically that at a, at a beacon score of 721 or better, um, that guaranteed, if managed and manipulated right, a minimum return on investment of $25,000. Now, when you say minimum turn on investment, can you, do you mean like that you would, that you would take out money from there? Sure. What does that mean? I'm so sorry. I don't understand it. 
I'll clarify. So the, the investment in the stolen identity, by the time it comes to full circle, is about $1,500. By the time you pay for the driver's license, to be counterfeited and replicated. Oh, it's what you pay, what what yeah, you yeah. cash out to yeah. achieve that identity is fifteen hundred. Did you say a thousand? The cost of production, it's a thousand to fifteen hundred, depending on all what documents I will have okay. to match that identity. So, if I really wanted to be extensive and get a driver's license, a social security card, um, a birth certificate, a car registration, and any other second form of identification that might be asked. Um, to be produced in the midst of a transaction, depending on how sophisticated the transaction was, is what determines whether or not the initial investment of the theft of that identity is oh, wow. $1,500. Now, okay. the return on that is a minimum, uh, I say twenty five because that 25000 is inclusive of the $1,500 that you have invested, but the return is astronomical in minimum um, $23,500. I just wrote wow. $25,000. So once wow. you get all these documents, what do you do with them? Once you get the fake driver's license, the whatever, what do you, you open up card or new accounts or? Yeah, absolutely. Instant credit accounts. Like, uh -huh. and, and again, I just like to remind you, your listeners that the instant credit market is the driving force and factor of identity theft schemes and scams. In the absence of it, um, identity theft um, does not remain the fastest growing crime in America for the last 22 consecutive years. So, yes, with the um, um, by um, accessing or creating, opening new accounts um, with those credentials um, and, and A tier credit um, is how you, you run the numbers up very speedily. For example, at that level, you're engaging with a Computer that recognizes a FICO beacon score that automatically approves a 721 beacon score for a $15,000, $20,000 new account instantly. And you know that off that account, you're going to make at least 50% of what the credit limit is. And, but you're going to open up multiple accounts with different creditors or different merchants. And that's how the money will come in accumulatively. So once you have these accounts open, what are you spending the money on? Uh, so, for example, if I would have an account, if I target um, a Zales jeweler, uh, jewelry store, and I know that I want a VS1 diamond, um, one and a half, two carats round, that's going to cost. Love it. Love he knows. It. He knows. <laughs> oh, my God. You know. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> that, that, that item is already pre-sold to a diamond dealer. So the relationships were not necessarily with. Um, consumer, con uh, the regular average consumer, but with people who had an interest in terms of buying um, items off the black market for the purpose of reselling them, um, um, uh, putting them, if, if you will, in the ebb and flow of their normal business transactions. They don't care where the diamonds come from, just as long as they can get them below cost and, and, yes. and retail them. So that, I, that's equivalent today when you're on like OfferUp or something like that and you see a cheap Nintendo Switch or whatever. It's somebody who's done that and that's how they're spending their money, right? That's, that's a yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. And so, um, sorry, this is going way back, but when you talk about creating all the documents, did you have in your multiple apartments like a official, you know, driver's license generator or did you have connections at like a DMV or something within there to do it under official? What was that sort of like the, the materials like? Well, both. 
Okay. We we would we that we would get the actual driver license number to the identity that we've stolen from uh-huh. the contact that we had at the DMV or on. Okay. Um, but we wow. had we always had the same printers that they had. Um, but yeah. But in house, there there are a number of places where that stuff can be purchased from then and now off the internet. I was thinking that I'm like, how easy it could be just to like do the exact same printer, Get the same yeah. printer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And was this all, was this based in Louisiana, where you are now? Uh, yes, the, the, the base of operation was in Louisiana from Monroe to Baton Rouge to Hammond, Louisiana. But we touched um, the field of operation stretched out to Arkansas, Mississippi, Texas, Alabama, every state that touches Louisiana and it went all the way up to Missouri. Got it. And so I'm just really interested in the goods you're buying because I'm a bargain <laughs> shopper and always looking. <laughs> um, Honestly, we're on the market for some cool ass diamonds. So. <laughs> uh, so you would get diamonds with this stuff and resell the diamonds or sell the diamonds to people who would sell the diamonds for cheaper. But then what other kinds of things were you buying and reselling? Well, primarily diamonds and electronics. And, and, and in that season, laptops had just came to market. They were hot and expensive. Uh, whether it was a Sony Vile, uh, Apple Mac, um, the, these computers were retailing for $3,000, $4,000. And Best Buy, Office Depot, Circuit City at the time, um, had them at, had Sears. These are the stores that had them in stock. And we would just send field operators in, establish and open up new instant credit accounts, and they maximize them then and there on the spot under the guise of purchasing them for a company because we create all those documents. We create a second form of identity uh, and a counterfeit credits card that had the victim's name on it and just under beneath, underneath that, the name of a company. So when that's verified, it looks like it is an actual um, company owner that's purchasing that's so smart. a lot of equipment for their, for their business. Oh, so then you're buying like 10 or Seven 20 laptops 15, at yeah. once. Yeah. Wow. And then you can, is that also a way that you can max out the credit card? So then if you move on or yeah, if, if you are, if the transactions caught or flagged, you already have the materials, then the victim deals with it on their end with their bank. Right. Right. And that, and that was rad. I mean, the transaction itself, because one of the security measures um, in the instant credit process is the multiple questions that the bank, the financing bank wants to ask to authenticate or verify the identity of the um, of the new account holder. And but we had the credit reports. So they were committed to rote memory. And uh, in, in anticipation of that security feature, security measure that would be presented during just prior to approving um, the the new account. So, that- so you already had those questions on file? Uh, we are we were already knowledgeable of the questions. They were always multiple choice questions and specific to information that was already existing in your credit profile that only you, as the as the applicant, would know. And by instant credit, you mean anytime you go and apply for a credit card online, and it tells you whether you're approved right away, well, right? Uh, online, but even more so at the point of sale in the actual okay. store on site. Oh, like a Gap credit card or some yeah, something they did like that to that. me at Ann Taylor Loft, and I was like, they do it to me gonna... all the time. I'm like, yeah. I don't want your credit cards. Yeah. Also, I'm like, my credit's terrible. You don't want me. <laughs> you don't want me. <laughs> it's not going to um, be a good relationship. No, that makes a lot of sense. So how? So we're stretching into Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana. We're all over the place. How did things kind of come crashing down? What happened? 
Sure. Well, the FBI and the Secret Service um, had me on their radar for two years, unbeknownst to me. Um, mm. I was already on state probation um, from an incident of commercial burglary that I got caught up in at the age of 18 over in Monroe, Louisiana, which documented my first criminal arrest. So, but I kept on getting arrested. I kept on getting caught as I was developing you know, the, 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 the sophistication of the scam. And then at, at, there came a point in time where you say, you know what, um, I'm going to take the back seat and I'm just going to recruit people that are twice my age. Who, because one of the challenges that I kept met, meeting is that I had a baby face. I was on <laughs> but I was getting approved with, for 20,000, 15,000. That was creating and causing more alarm mm-hmm. than not. And people were second guessing that. And I would find myself running out of stores. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm gorgeous. What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> my face is so fresh. Give me your money. <laughs> yeah, so to offset that, um, all my field operatives uh, were twice my age, were 40 plus. 40 oh, wow. Because they, were, they, they, had, um, they had the look and appearance. And it was all about costume communication. I, I, I established that as one of the seven characteristics social engineering um, as an identity thief. You have to have the costume, you have to have the look um, as part of um, selling the crime. Can you give us some examples of Wait, those? Is this social engineering, some, is this your um, own term? Coined. I love it. I, I like to think that I originated the term. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to say it here. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's well, your, yes, you it's did, okay? Yeah. If you'd like to say it, you'll say it. <laughs> Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And what what were the some of the other characteristics of it? You said there were seven. Oh yeah, so um, costume communication is simply um, have to look the part, to have the demeanor, to have the conversation, to to have the the attire. To look yeah. mm-hmm. a thirty thousand dollar Rolex to look like mm-hmm. um, whether that's through an instant credit account or whether that's on 
a, a counterfeit credit card that we've obtained the information to and mm-hmm. replicate. Um, study deception. Study deception is um, when you when you ponder. Um, to give you an example, on one occasion, I engaged what is called vishing, and that's simply to contact you. I have parts and pieces of the information, but I need some pa- some account passwords and some other um, key identifiers that I don't have. But I call you and take lead and get you on the phone and say, okay, Miss such and so, Miss Joanne, um, I have your social security number. I recite that to you. I recite your date of birth to you. I recite wow. To you. Uh, but before I can go further into the account, I need you to verify, if you will, the social, um, the security features that you have on your account and you readily give them up. Right. Oh my gosh. Of course I would. Oh, wow. That is so smart. Wow. So when the FBI was tracking you, how did you had no clue? Like you didn't know that they were on your on you? No, 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 no. But I I had some suspicion. I went to jail one time in St. Tammany Parish in Covington, Louisiana. Um, and I should not have gotten out. And when I made bond, I felt like that I was being allowed to make bond because there were other entities or agencies watching me um, to see how I'll. I was actually Oh, that's interesting. So now the paranoia has increased and went to a whole nother level. And I'm no longer on cruise control. Um, everything is suspicious. Everybody is suspect. And I'm no, right. and I'm no longer resting in the security and confidence that I was um, as I was studying, developing um, the sophistication of the crimes that I was perpetrating. And I'm interested, what's your relationship? Where are we with drugs in this story? <laughs> so are we doing drugs? Are we not doing drugs? Oh, just so what you know, are we I'm sober. sober. Yeah. We're sober. I am an alcoholic. Same. <laughs> I can't do that. We both have our own redemption stories, which are a lot we are happy to talk about. We do talk about on this podcast all the time that like we as addicts too, like had nothing mattered. You just had to... F- you had yeah. to solve that need. You had to scratch that itch. Yeah. So, so drugs, I was on the other side of that transaction. I was never a consumer. Okay. But, but I was a seller. Uh-huh. Um, and- That's great. I'm so glad you weren't a consumer because you're so smart. You cannot mess that brain up. <laughs> you have a fucking genius. <laughs> you are the smartest person we've ever interviewed. <laughs> and, I, and, and I was selling drugs to supplement um, the identity theft schemes. Because I refer back to the gambling habit that I was developing. Um, I would lose the drug money. I mean, it was $1,000 a hand blackjack. I would lose that. But I would make it back up via identity there. But just as soon as those, that, that, that gambling came to a grinding halt, um, it just skyrocketed for me. I mean, the cash was, was almost uncontrollable. Damn. Wait, so how did the FBI... How did it come to an end? How did they how did they take you down? So so I got arrested. Um, I was on probation again from an incident when I was 18 years old. And keep in mind that I kept committing crimes and kept getting arrested and kept um, having court dates. But I had, you know, the best attorneys that money can buy. Just as well, yeah, as you're a millionaire. As long as I was in state jurisdiction. Right. Um, um, but all those things came to a head. And on one account, I had to go for a probation revocation hearing. And even then, the probation officer that was assigned to me was targeting me. And my attorney, Paul Kidd Sr. at the time, um, Yahweh rest his soul, bless his soul, um, 
made a good case of 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 of, of her and how she was profiling and, and targeting me, despite the fact that I kept getting in trouble. I kept getting arrested. And on one particular occasion, which was the last, um, I went before Judge Benjamin Jones in Monroe for a revocation hearing and got revoked for 90 days. But at the same time, he also terminated my probation um, prematurely. Um, so I served that stint, that 90 days in state custody. You get three for one. So it was really a 30-day jail sentence. And I was um, coming to the point where it was time for me to get out. And on the day that I was supposed to get out, instead of um, prison officials opening the doors, letting me out, the U.S. Marshals show up. Oh, so there's somebody else involved. Uh, U.S. Yeah. US Marshals is the cops for the feds. <laughs> right. And uh, they take me into custody. And, aha, uh, there's a federal warrant out for your arrest. <gasps> oh, wow. You've been indicted on conspiracy to commit identity. How was that for you? Was it just such a shock because you thought you were getting out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was surreal. It, it was surreal. I didn't made it to the to to garnering and gaining the attention of the federal authorities. What the hell have I gotten myself into? Um, I mean, I was a. I mean, I had no knowledge or understanding of the federal criminal code and procedures, the judicial process, or any of that stuff at that time. And um, again. I was able to buy one of the best attorneys that money can buy, who uh, by the name of Gary Jordan out of Hamlin, Louisiana, came onto the case and represented me very effectively and proficiently. And um, I'm thankful to him to this day. I give acknowledge to all my attorneys um, and the acknowledgement section of my book. So what year was this when the U.S. Marshals took you from jail? 2003. 2003. And then... Did they take you to a federal prison or like, where did you go? Uh, no, I went to, I went, I went to a state holding facility. I'm sorry, 2002. I went to state holding facilities. So the U.S. Marshals have contract with the state satellite institutions that are local. Mm -hmm. uh, federal inmates are housed separately from state and parish um, inmates. And, and until you are convicted and as such sentenced and sent on to the federal bureau of prisons. So I was taken to a local jail in Chalmette, Louisiana, Chalmette Parish. I'm sorry, um, Chalmette, Louisiana, and um, St. Bernard Parish, um, the town of Chalmette, a uh, city of Chalmette, in St. Bernard Parish. And I was hold, held there until I went through the um, the judicial process. How long did that take? Yeah, that's about a nine month process. Um, wow, guilty in a timely manner. And, um, yeah. And you played guilty? Absolutely. You, yeah. Yeah, I had enough evidence stacked against me. Because, um, I mean, my guilt, was, my guilt was my admission to the state crimes that I'd already played guilty for and received plea bargains and plea deals for. So the federal government was using those convictions and asked oh, I see. charges um, to build their case against me. How shady, because you already served your time for those. No, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't serve any time for them, and, and most of them were open, open charges. Oh. They only, they only adopted the open charges that were pending. But I had enough of an arrest record um, that 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 mitigated against any measure of innocence that I could have claimed otherwise. Damn, <laughs> we needed to fake those documents then. I know. <laughs> so we need to find somebody on the inside there. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so your trial takes nine months, and then do you go right to jail? And how long do you spend there? 
Uh, it takes about nine months. I get sentenced, and then I get shipped on to uh, Texarkana um, FCI, Federal Correction Institute, which is a low-security um, institution. And I spend another nine months on the compound you know, before being released. I come home. I stay home for nine months and go right back to federal prison, this time for a drug charge. Wow. At that point, like, were you, was that, what was going through your mind? Like, you were literally on top of the world, had ev. you really had such control over your situation, your employees, people's bank accounts. Like, how did that feel, just then having to be shuffled around between different institutions? Right, right. And, 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 and I, as I look back on it in retrospect, I think that, you know, some measure, some type of form of depression had begun to overtake me because, to your point, I was in complete and total control of my environment. Uh, of my reality, of a, of a world that I had created, I have a criminal in my And you were thriving, really, you were the best. And all of a sudden, these things are, 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 are taken from me. And, um, and um, it just, it's, it's just a process. It's, it's something that you have to adapt to quick or, or it'll overtake you. You succumb to it and, and, and this is why people succumb to suicidal thoughts and attempts and all these things because they can't gain control of that environment or at least adapt in it um, and, and as such be able to control how the environment then affects them. And that's the, and that's the trick to it. So when you went to prison, federal prison for the second time, how much time did you spend there? Six years. Oh, boy. Yes. Three of which I spent in solitary confinement while waiting <gasps> to federal prison. Why? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. It, it, it's, it's designed to defeat you. I was in a five by 10 cell over in Tangible Hole Parish Jail in Eight Meat, Louisiana, under administrative investigation for having um, had cell phones brought into the prison, um, which, which I admit to in the book. Um, and the book, my publication of the book is actually my, the only time that I ever admitted to it. But um, the prison officials, um, didn't catch me in the act, could never pin it to me, but um, sought to hold me in solitary confinement as a type of punishment um, under the guise of administrative investigation uh, for a period of three long years. Now, my solitary confinement wasn't constitutional. In fact, it was cruel and unusual punishment because they kept me in there 25-8, um, if you will, 24-7. I was allowed out the cell um, three times a week for 15 minutes, um, seven minutes to use the phone, seven minutes to shower. Um, the cell, the bright light, the day bright light stayed on the cell 24 seven. And, and um, I had no windows. I had one slated window with, through which I could tell whether it was um, sunlight or dark. And it was designed to, 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 to defeat me by way of attraction. And um, I endured. And the way in which I endured was by my faith. Uh, and, and I occupied my mind. I read and studied. I wrote for 16 hours a day. And I chose to use that penal situation and transform it into a collegiate education. And I really, and I really dived, I, I, I dived deep into uh, very recondite, abstruse studies, reads, stuff that's boring to the average mind. But nonetheless, sure. but nonetheless it, it, it fed my mind and emboldened my spirit. And, and, and because of that experience, um, for which I'm thankful, not necessarily what they intended to do to me, but mm -hmm. uh, what I made out of it. 
And then after those three years you came out, how do you feel that that time in solitary, which sounds like you did such an incredible amount of personal work, did that help you get through the next three years or was it, was that an additional challenge because it was a new type of confinement? Right. No, 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 no. It helped me. So from solitary confinement, from Tangible Repairs Jail, I then went to Bastrop, um, Texas, um, where they have um, a facility, a Federal Correction Institute, which is also a low security facility, because I wasn't a violent offender or anything like that. Right. So I was going to be situated or designated to low security institutions. But I was refreshed. I mean, I made significant character improvements. Uh, my education by way of erudition had, had, had developed and enhanced significantly. I studied 10 different disciplines, which I narrowed my focus on and became, um, a student of those, um, disciplines and just used that knowledge for the betterment and benefit of those whom I encountered, um, in my future um, in incarceration and beyond tangible chemistry. And then after those six years, did you, was that it for you in prison? Yes. Oh, we got, okay. Yay. That's good. <laughs> so I fell in 2005. I went back to federal prison in 2005. I came home in 2011 and I've been home ever since, incidentally. Oh, oh yeah. Congrats. You are so smart. That is like, this is fascinating. I, I'm so also grateful that you've written this book, that you can then impart this wisdom to other people because I do think that there is, you know, I have a lot of issues with the criminal justice system, and I think that they there's so much in it that is trying to break down the human spirit, the mind, the will for the reasons they, you know, for whatever their reasons are. But um, not I mean, they picked the wrong guy. Like you have to be the smartest guy in the world creating your own company and then they can try to do whatever they want. But three years in, you just came out smarter and better and even more helpful. And what was the transition back into like normal life like for you? Was that like a shock or like um, were you able to f do like a job? Like what what is your life like after? Yeah. So so I, came, I, I have good family structure. Um, I, I came home to uh, to the same family unit whom I had abandoned by the commission and through the commission of my crimes. So I had a good support base, and that that is um, for a lot of people. A lot of people that comes out of the prison setting and environment don't have that support base, and as such, find themselves um, as statistics of recidivism. And but that was not for me this last time, and it should not have been for me the first time. Um, first federal experience, uh, prison experience but um it, it from, i came home to a job i came home to a family i came home to a business i came home to a, a vehicle i came home because mm -hmm. because i've already i've always treated people as i've wanted to be treated despite mm -hmm. the crimes that i committed i always did right by people and i always you know i never i had a model that i would never tell nobody no um, to anything that they ask, you know, some people would take advantage of that and has since sought to take advantage of that kindness. But I have the gift of generosity and I don't shy away from mm -hmm. it. Even in today's time, I try to, I look for ways to say yes before I, before I give you a delayed no. And, mm -hmm. and, um, it comes back to me. And those are merely seeds that I sow very morally, uh, very deliberately and spiritually because I understand and appreciate the law of reciprocity. 
and not for the intent or purpose that I look for something in return, but nonetheless, just out of the goodness of my heart and the abundance of my supply, be it um, tangible supply uh, or immaterial supply. I appreciate the knowledge, mm-hmm. wisdom, and understanding and those things that are ready to share and make available to all who, who, who have a willingness to hear and listen. That's incredible. I was going to ask too, <clears throat> from everything that had happened in your past and from the network you created, has any of that been sort of difficult to deal with and mitigate or have people not appreciated the new changes you've made I, on such a small scale I've dealt with it with being sober people are like no get trashed with me you know you were fun drunk and I might have to explain I'm a different person so on a very small scale I just wondered if that was any experience you had well I mean people are going to be people right I mean society as a whole would try to use your past um, against you in an attempt to dictate and determine what your future is but I've been mindful of that and I'm determined not to allow that to happen um, I know that if anybody um, listens to me long enough that I can impress and impact them in such a way um, that's beneficial. Um, if not if not to them, then definitely for me, because part of my healing, part of my ongoing and continual rehabilitation is to have the ability to express um, the redemption that I've undergone and as such have since experienced. So in sharing that, um, it has a multi-layered purpose. And, and, and with the intent and hope that those who long me are listening here is doing so with pure motive and as such can gain a fruit of blessing from it that they can use for the benefit of themselves and for the purpose of sharing with someone else. Um, and you're running for Congress? Yes, I'm running for U.S. Congress for the 6th oh Congressional District in the state of Louisiana. And um, I, that, that response and reaction has been, has been good. From the general public. Now, you know, there are those career politicians who frown upon that and, and and seem to deny the past that they have. But Oh yeah. There's our so much I mean look at our White House. There's so many horrible things that people yeah. have done. But uh, I come on. Pe- people want um they want realness. Uh, and in Louisiana is the is the state that has the second incarceration rate. The second highest in the nation. Uh, we used to be number one, but we're now number two. And statistically, that simply means that one in every three people per capita, and depending on the per capita, the city um, in which you um, qualify this particular statistic, one in three people either has been incarcerated themselves, justice impacted, or justice involved. Justice involved meaning they've been arrested themselves, or justice impacted meaning they know someone, friend, family, loved one who has been. So, as a state and as residents within the state, we are not estranged from the justice system, no matter how um, we would like to be. And people, the constituency, my peers, um, both black and white, Hispanic and Asian, um, resonate with the reality that they too are one decision from um, experiencing that, that dark reality. And and um, once you, you have an opportunity to fully tell the story from your vantage point and experience. People are more ready to understand and listen um, um, to, to, to the storyline. What do you think are some like systemic problems in Louisiana that it has this high incarceration rate? Is it all just, is it all racism? Like why, why is it so high? Well, it's, it's a combination of things, systemic racism, um, institutional racism, 
um, the draconian laws um, that 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 are still intact and in place, and instead of being repealed and replaced, they're merely being amended, and and but not to a degree or to an extent that are progressive. Um, um, for the for example, I mean, before we can talk about rec medicinal. Uh, legalizing medicinal marijuana, recreational marijuana, we need to first address the elephant in the room and decriminalize marijuana so that to alleviate the criminal justice system for those who are still serving extended prison terms for marijuana charges. That's just that's just the evil capitalism. And I say that here and I say that anywhere. Um, so so it is that kind of hypocrisy and, and, and duplicity that needs to be confronted one challenge to and, and, and all the way repudiated and eradicated for the benefit of affecting real change that's, that's relevant and, 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 and productive and progressive in today's society. And, and that's just one example. But when we talk about, when we get down to the, to, to the meat of the material, we have to go all the way back and predate the conversation 1863, um, um, uh, before the, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Um, you know, in, in that day, um, slaves were captured. Um, post-1863, they were arrested. Here comes the police state, right? And then there's the 13th Amendment with the, parenthet mm -hmm. with the parenthetical statement, um, except it be for a punishment of crime. You cannot hold a man against his will. So now we still have, um, not, not, not slavery wasn't abolished so much, it was merely institutionalized. Right, the same, even the same phrasing, like the same sentence in the law, I know. It's... So, so when you begin to connect the dots and you then begin to understand the cradle to prison pipeline um, that has been um, systemically, uh, systematically um, designed for black and brown communities. And then you can see that for what it is and call it for what it is. But it And that system is benefiting from those communities as well. Like it's it's its own business that's thriving. Absolutely. And that's what we call the prison industrial complex. And that's why, and that's why it's so difficult. That's why you meet so many challenges in terms of trying to eradicate that parenthetical statement in the 13th Amendment because inmate labor has been monetized. And, and if monetized, it's being capitalized on through the evils of, of capitalism. Not to say, now I'm not a communist or a socialist. Let me, let me clarify that. But I do understand that capitalism originated in the plantation uh, um, um, system. Yes, there's an evil attached to it. So, so, yeah. it has, so if it has evil origins, no matter how you dress it. Um. There's, I want to do an entire episode on prison labor because I know a lot of giant American companies are using prisoners and it's slave labor to make their products. And Absolutely. It's bullshit. And by the time we do that, hopefully you bring me back as the U.S. Congressman for the 6th Congressional District. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> we can talk. Oh, it'd be so exciting. We can talk about the legislation that, I, that I've that i introduced to uh, repeal and replace um, the draconian laws that are currently on the books um, in, in the state of Louisiana and throughout the country. So are you, do you, wh where are you in the process of that? Like, do you have to do another primary or like? No, 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 no. So, so, so we, we, we have our site set on November 3rd. We're on the same ticket as the okay. presidential ticket. Uh -huh. And um, Louisiana is not a primary state. So, okay. so as many people from both sides of the ticket um, get to jump into the race, and um, we just go for what we know. Um, may the best man win. Oh, my God. Uh, we are pulling for you. That is yes, so I'm exciting. Rooting for you. And so, and 
I would 100% want one of the smartest people I've ever spoken with <laughs> to be in charge, but <laughs> to be in my... I just want some people in charge who've like had life experiences and who've been through shit and not have come from privilege their entire lives because they can't relate to people. Right. And that's what and and and, and that's what electability is about. You know, we we are so uh, used to systems uh, telling us what it means or what it looks like to be electable. You wear this yeah. color tie, you wear this type of suit, you you set up in this type of type of posture. Um, you have to yeah. become a member of this club and, and all these organizations, but the average individual don't don't make a connection to that. So, if electability, uh, what does that look like? Who gets to define or choose that? Nobody but the voter. And for me, mm-hmm. for me, electability is consistent of credibility and relatability. And and and, and I identify with um, the average voter. I mean, career politicians. Uh, we all know that they don't know their streets, nor their rock roads, and as such, they, they don't know anything. They don't know their light, their re- left from their right. I almost said their light from their left. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't know their hoods, neighborhoods, nor their truck. No, but I come from. I come from both, mm-hmm. and and I have a lifetime mm-hmm. membership in both, and, and and I don't deny or shy away from that. Mm, that's incredible. That's so exciting, and I'm so happy for you. And I, we are just your biggest fans. And you have I, one book or two books? I have one book, two volumes. Oh, two great. volumes. What's great. the name of it and where can people find it? Uh, the Master Identity Thief is the name of it. Um, it can be found on themasteridentitythief.com. Uh, it can be found on Amazon, all major distributors, Amazon.com, Walmart.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, Amazing. I'm getting it tonight. It is a Google search away. Yay! <laughs> I was going to also, speaking of Google searches, I was going to say from this experience and everything you've had in your past and present, is there anything that now you look at as far as something that are red flags for somebody who is prone to getting their identity stolen? Or is there something that you look at where a company asks you or a bank asks you to sign, to fill something out online and you said, well, I would never do that because yeah, it's what are too some, what are some tips for easily exposed? I feel like if I was in your position, I trust no one. <laughs> we spoke with a guest totally. yesterday who has like five. Uh, what does he do? So background he like, checks. He had three he different background, background check services yeah, on everybody services he meets. He subscribes to. Yeah. He's obsessed. So, like, is there a thing you use or you think about? Yeah. What precautions do you take, or should people take? So this, this is what I tell every everyone whom I have the opportunity, as I document in the book. Um, you can you you can secure and as such protect. 80 to 90% of your own identity by contacting each of the major three certified bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. And put a a fraud alert in your file, a a passcode um, specific or unique to yourself, and a freeze alert. And each and every time that your credit profile is pulled for review in the interest of either extending um, existing credit or increasing existing credit or extending new credit, um, your identity has to be verified by you and you only. Now, a master identity thief will take that initiative for you. I want your listeners to be aware that um, depending on the sophistication or the level at which the perpetrator intends to um, victimize you, especially if he's focused and has since narrowed in on you and your 800 Beacon score, He's going to steal your identity in totality. And how that happens is, is that he or she would take the initiative to contact one of the three major certified bureaus. On 
Yes, as you. As you. And now you can't access your own identity. It, it becomes a, 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 a big, yeah. Okay, listeners, so get on those bureaus. Do that as soon as we hang up on this call. <laughs> yes. This is so amazing. I hope this was an enjoyable interview for you because this just delighted us. And I, I'm just so grateful for you sharing your this huge wealth of experience. And it's so it's so interesting to us. And, and we just what, can't think what's of What's the um, parish in Louisiana again? If people are listening who happen to be in the area who can vote for you? Sure. It's 13 parishes. Or, it's 13 parishes. 13. Sure. East Baton Rouge Parish is the predominant, is the biggest, largest parish. Then there's West Baton Rouge Parish, East and West Feliciana Parish, Terrebonne Parish, Lafourche Parish, Livingston Parish, um, Ponca P Parish. Oh, uh, oh, I thought okay. Parish. No, I thought everybody were, it's Congress, um, so it's for the state, right? The state. I'm an idiot. I thought it was just like one district or whatever. It's a district. It's a dish. Is one of six districts within the state. My particular district is made up of 13 parishes. Okay. Sure. Cool. <laughs> we are not running for Congress anytime soon because we can. Oh God, no! <laughs> I, but let's oh my get you in there. This is so exciting. I, I, th- I have just one more question. Were you like the smartest kid ever since? Like, you had to be a two-year-old who knew your alphabet. I have a toddler, and I'm like, I think he's really smart. But I think you must have been like a math you, guy. A, he's a, a math genius as yeah. a child, yeah. right? I think I identify as being precocious. Yeah. And, and That's so humble. <laughs> those days, you know, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I have some classmates to this day who still think that they are smarter than me. But I like to differentiate between smart wit, intelligence, uh, brilliance, and, 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 and being wise. Um, so I make I make those distinctions and, and, and then we debate. We debate who's what. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's a Thank good Thank you friend. so much. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'm smarter. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. I enjoy this. We could do this all night. Y'all got to bring me back home. We and you know what? We might call you in the future to ask you advice on things or your take because this has been such a joy. Yes, this is great. Right, let's do it. You definitely got to bring me out post November third. Oh my God! We're not looking forward to a runoff. We're, we're hoping to take it um, on election night, and I need to be I need to be back on this show um, before I get sworn in. Hell Wait. yeah. You do, you contact us anytime. If you're like, I have an itch to Congressman, get on you're always on welcome in. on our podcast. Whatever you need. Yeah. You can also talk, we can fake uh, identity for you to talk under another alias. Oh, you can for share sure. stories of a fake person that doesn't yes. even exist. Yes. All of it. Okay, All of it. okay cool. <laughs> Canyon is amazing. We love the him. Best. We are just literally like just we just got off the call. So lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. That was such a fun interview. And I mean, I was starstruck the entire time. Like I don't even remember. Because he's like the OG of identity theft. Like Yes. He created doing his it before own the internet. Yes. yes. And he taught other people how to do it. And then he's even come back to even help people now. Like he's he had, I, 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 we're not worthy of how smart this person is and how much work he is doing for others. Yes. Oh my God. So it was just wonderful. <laughs> it was great. So this was our first scammer. If you're a scammer, yes, come we on treat in, you as with, you can see. <laughs> we treat you with reverence. <laughs> we, very like we're 
huge fans. I mean, um, but yeah, if you are a scammer and you want to come on our show, please email us at scamwallpodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you have your experience with identity theft, yeah. I'm so sorry. If you're a victim of identity theft, we're not making so light sorry. of it. We're just, we no. are so sorry, but we are fascinated with the story. But you can always call us on our hot tip hotline because you know we love a phone call. And it's 347-509-9414. And then you guys can head to our website, scamwildpodcast.com, where you can get merch, Patreon. Patreon's where we like talk about personal stuff. We talk we talk some shit and it's a if good there's time. an episode where you're like I think the girls are upset it's gonna be on the Patreon episode yeah we're, we're gonna we talk about everything. it on the Patreon it's all on our Patreon so if there's, yes. there's drama you wanna hear about it's on it yes you guys are the best we thank you so much and we hope you have a great week and thanks for letting us hang out with you for a little bit we'll see you next week see ya bye bye Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.